This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today I'm covering a book called The Widow of the South by Robert Hicks. This is book 17 out of 52 for my 2019 reading list. This episode will consist of three segments. First will be a brief introduction to the book, why I read it in my initial reaction. Second segment will be three different ideas and themes that stuck out to me. And then the final segment is the one thing, the one key takeaway from, from this book. So on to segment one, the author is Robert Hicks. He is a local author here in Franklin, Tennessee. So at the start of this episode, I said I'm coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. I actually live really close to Franklin, Tennessee. Ten, uh, Franklin's uh, 15, 20 minutes south of, of Nashville, uh, the city center. And Franklin is like small town America. Uh, Franklin has a main street and every building on that main street is, is two stories tall. Uh, a lot of buildings from the late 1800s, uh, early 1900s. And just a fun place. They have a lot of family type events, uh, Christmas tree lighting, Dickens of a Christmas where people dress up as, as Dickens and, or, or that from that time period, uh, Victorian England and walk around and, and, um, so a lot of neat events there. Uh, I, I, I love Franklin. Franklin's one of my favorite places to be. And that's where the, our author is from for this book. And it's also where this story takes place. But it's not just a story. This is a work of historic fiction. And so a lot of the characters in the book were real people. It obviously takes place in a real place, Franklin, Tennessee, but it centers around the Battle of Franklin, and it centers around a house that played an important role in this battle. And that house, uh, it's, it's not just a small house, it's a mansion, and it's called Carnton Plantation. And Carnton Plantation ended up being a hospital for Confederate soldiers immediately after the battle started. So the, the house was very close to the, to the line of Confederates, uh, the Union held downtown Franklin, and the Confederate Army was coming towards Franklin to to try to take it back um, and to, to get to the, to get the Union out of out of the city. It didn't work out very well for the Confederates. They lost almost three to one soldiers uh, compared to the to the Union in a battle that lasted five hours. Ten thousand people were dead, uh, nearly ten thousand. And it was considered one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War. And not only that, a lot of it, from what I understand, was was conducted hand-to-hand. So you can imagine how gruesome and, and horrible and everything that, that would be. Uh, war is held already uh, when you're shooting at each other from far away with cannons and guns. But now you're up close man-to-man, hand-to-hand, and fighting to the death with hands and whatever you can find. So uh, the descriptions of the battle are that um, that bodies were, you just, you couldn't walk anywhere because you, you were walking on, on bodies. You'd look out on a field and it was just body to body uh, of dead soldiers. So that's, that's what uh, this, this novel centers around. 
And it's done in a very neat way in that each chapter at the top of the chapter is a, a name that's written. And that chapter will be in that character's name. So one chapter will be in a Union soldier's voice. The next chapter will be in a Confederate soldier's voice. The chapter after that will be of Carrie McGavick, who is the wife of John McGavick, Colonel John McGavick, who they own Carnton Plantation, where, where this hospital, uh, or the, the house becomes a hospital during the, the battle. And Carrie then becomes, uh, she, her, her life is transformed by this, uh, obviously. And she ends up taking care of a lot of these soldiers as they're, as they're dying, as they're, they're getting treated. And then after the war, uh, her, and, her and her husband, Colonel John, dedicate two acres of their land to, to bury the dead and actually to move them from a, a field where they were buried quickly uh, and that field was about to be plowed. They moved them to their land to where the, that cemetery still stands. There are, are nearly 1,500 soldiers there. And Carrie looked after that every day of her life until she died in 1905. Battle of Franklin took place November 30th, 1864. And I just want to read something from the author's note in the back of the book about the Battle of Franklin. So here we go. The Battle of Franklin occurred on the edge of a small, isolated town of 2,500. So 2,500 people. Think of, think of it. 2,500 men and women trying to bury or heal more than three times their number in dead, dying, and wounded men on one of the smallest battlefields in the United States. The Union had suffered 2,500 and the Confederates almost 6,700 casualties in Bloody Franklin, as it came to be called. A full third of the Confederate infantry had disappeared in the smoke of the battle. Generals Patrick Cleburne, John Adams, States Rights Gist, Otho F. Strahl, Hiram B. Granberry, and John C. Carter were all killed. Eight others were wounded and one captured, the largest number of American generals ever lost in battle. Eleven enlisted men received the Congressional Medal of Honor. This book was released September 1st, 2005, and it hit the New York Times bestseller list after just one week of being out. It's been highly critically acclaimed, uh, and I kept seeing it in the store, uh, the landmark booksellers in Franklin, Tennessee, and, and I asked Joel, the owner, of that store. I asked him for three book recommendations for this year. Uh, I wanted to read books by Southern authors. And so this was one of the books that he suggested. Uh, he also suggested All the King's Men. And that has been my favorite book so far of this year. Uh, Widow of the South comes in pretty close after that that book. I, I really enjoyed this one. wanted to read one other part towards the end of where the author Robert Hicks talks about his preparation for, for writing this book. When I decided to write the story as fiction, I reread many Russian novels and began many I'd never read before. I finished most of them long before I ever opened any history of the Battle of Franklin or the Civil War. That was the kind of story I wanted to tell. How epic circumstances would transform the characters as the characters transformed each other. That was the story I was tackling. While I've read much nonfiction about the Civil War, the political conditions, Southern history, and slavery, I was trying to write neither a military history of the Battle of Franklin nor a study on slavery or states' rights. I wanted to simply tell a story about a handful of folks caught up in this epic drama that Walt Whitman called the defining point in American history. Another interesting thing about Robert Hicks, the author, is that he worked at Carnton 
plantation for for many years and so was really engaged with the story was was constantly at the house he's he's still on the board of the Carnton plantation and that's where this interest in in the story of of Carrie McGavick the the widow of the south really really took hold i read this book from may 6th to may 14th of this year so just finished it a few days ago uh 2019 it's a 418 page book it took me 11 hours one minute and 28 seconds to, to read it, which boils down to roughly a minute 35 per page. I know that's very geeky and dorky to track that, but I, I actually use uh, app. And anytime I start reading, I, I start it and then I stop it. And I'm just more curious as to how, how long books take and how long different books take compared to others, how long each t- page takes to read. Uh, some books for me will be close to three minutes per page, while other books will be uh, cl- closer to one minute per page. So this was a minute 35 uh, seconds per page. My initial reaction was, well, I'll, let me put it this way. The, the highest compliment that I can give a book is that I don't want it to end. And I did not want this book to end. I, I was entranced. I just wanted it to keep going on. I just, I, it was fascinating. I live near Franklin, so I'm seeing the things, the places talked about in this book all the time. Uh, I, I'm traveling on the, the pikes that are discussed in this book. The, and pikes are, um, are they, that's what they called toll roads back, back in the day. And so these, these two pikes where the, dif- the different armies were, were headed towards Franklin. And here I'm on these every day and, you know, didn't really know the significance of them. And, and so I, I loved that about this book. It, it really caused me to, to look at the place where I live in a, a new light. And that's one of the coolest things. And I, I, I would guess no matter where we live, where any of us live, there's probably some really interesting history that, that happened where you live. And you could go through your whole life and not ever dig deep into that history. But there's, there's a lot to learn from it. And you could probably just start by by reading some of the historical markers. Uh, I know if I even had done that just in the area around here, I, I would know a lot about the Civil War and, and where things happened. And now I'm I'm just a lot more interested in that, after, especially after reading this book. I know it's historic fiction, but uh, but it it does introduce real people and cause me to to want to look deeper into it. As for who should read the book, uh, I would say anyone who's interested in in the Civil War, but but perhaps more uh, especially the Battle of Franklin. Uh, also, the Carrie McGavick as a as a person is just a really interesting person. I mean, uh, can, can you imagine allowing people to take over your house, turn it into a hospital, and not just like leave and let them do their thing, but to stay there and to comfort the dead? Uh, or comfort the soldiers as they're dying, um, and then to turn your land, part of your land, into a cemetery, and watch over these 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 dead soldiers, um, reply to letters that were written by bereaved parents, bereaved spouses of these men who who died on this field, to to answer those letters, to take visitors, to show where their loved ones were buried, uh, just just an amazing amazing thing and, and was really neat to read about it in, in this book. 
And then just to, to, as for who, who should read the book, to a, to a larger point, maybe uh, what I, I guess what I hope to do in this episode is to, to convince you to, to read historical fiction that takes place in the area where you live as, as a way to, to maybe introduce things in, in history, uh, things that happened in, in history from, from your area. Historical fiction is such a kind of a cool way to, to, to get started because it, it can introduce you without kind of the, maybe the boring, just this happened, then this happened, then this battle, and this army went here, and this went here. But you, you, take, the, you take those details and, and create a story around it. Uh, it's a really engaging way to, to interact with, with history. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome and thanks for checking it out. I started the Books of Titans project because I needed help picking out the best books. I found out what some of the world's top performers were reading and started reading those books to the tune of 52 per year or roughly one a week. I set my reading list a year in advance and then share it online. That creates accountability and a connection with others who are reading the same books. I want you to experience the benefits of having a yearly reading list. To that end, the Books of Titans website is stocked full of resources to help you find the best books. I've also opened up the website to where you can begin sharing your reading list. This will allow you to share it with others, write reviews, and rate each book. I have three different plans with the first one starting at just $9 per month. Your books will be placed in a visually stunning format that you can share on social platforms. Go to booksoftitans.com forward slash my books for more details. Now back to the book. In segment two here, I like to highlight three different ideas or themes that I that I see throughout the book that, that stuck out to me. The first is maybe a little different where I, I just want to read some passages and, and, and discuss them briefly. So the first one talks about battle and the dead. So here we go. There were thousands of dead men lying on the Confederate side of that battlefield and perhaps a thousand Union dead on the other side. To that, add a few thousand horribly wounded men on both sides, and then there were a few hundred men that were missing, that were never again found. Then add to them the men who were so disfigured and broken that they were of no use to their armies anymore, who went home bearing the physical and mental scars of that battle for the rest of their days. Lives often cut short because of what had happened at Franklin. The dimensions of the violence begin to emerge. Its measurements a tidy table of dead and wounded, but it is impossible to see it all fully. It would drive a man mad to apprehend the whole tragedy, to know every effect and consequence, to know the names of every good man and woman, every genius and every saint who was never born because their lineage petered out there on that rise at Franklin. It would be like looking at the face of the Gorgon, or for that matter, the face of God. End quote. Man, I, I, th I think about that often with... I, just take one one death one tragedy of a, of a death of a life cut short and to to know the every effect and consequence to know the names of every good man and woman every genius and every saint who was never born because their lineage petered out there on that rise to franklin man that uh, that <laughs> that was a really powerful powerful one here's a, a short quote i liked I had decided that people talk an awful lot, perhaps too much, and that sitting silent was the greatest of luxuries. Amen, brother. All right, here's the next one. 
one of the delights of my work with the men in the house was realizing that they liked me to boss them around and to dismiss the severity of their injuries. I'm going to take myself out of this quote real quick. This is a chapter in the voice of Carrie McGavick. And she's talking about what, what do you do with the men who are dying around you? How do you comfort them? I, I mean, they're just men constantly dying in, in what became this hospital at her house. And what, what do you do in that situation? Do you go and, 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 and try, to, try to comfort them with soft voice? What, you know, what do you do? She said, at first, I had entered the rooms of the wounded and dying with fear and a desire to comfort. And so I would kneel next to the most gravely afflicted, a man shot in the stomach or one without a leg whose wound would not stop bleeding, and stroke their hands and tell them how sorry I was, and ask them whether there was anyone I could notify and whether they wanted me to pray with them. They all shook their heads and closed their eyes and did their best to ignore me quietly. It took some time before I realized that there was nothing I could do for the dying man except ease his journey a little, and that wasn't accomplished by staring sadly into their faces and making it clear to them, indeed, that they would be dying soon. When I realized that my gestures of comfort were only extinguishing hope, and therefore creating another agony, I began to bring the gravely injured men whiskey, which I poured down their throats with a smile. And when the other men in the room complained about not getting their dram, I stand, I, I'd stand up and declare that the whiskey was only for the handsomest among them, and that the rest of them should count themselves lucky to get water. The other men would curse and laugh. The dying men with the taste of whiskey on their tongues knew the charade meant that they would surely die, but I thought it possible I made them hopeful by swallowing my sadness. At least death was not something to fear, if a proper woman could treat it so cavalierly and that was a form of hope. That's what I thought, at least. End quote. And again, I, I don't know that they know what she was like uh, with, the, with the dying men. Um, I'm not sure if he just completely made this part up or if, if this was gathered from, from letters or, or descriptions of, of Carrie, but it's an interesting thing to, to consider. And, and it was neat that he, he talked about it in her voice in this way of her uh, joking with, with the dying, of, of trying to ease that, that pain by, by making light and, and having fun with, with these soldiers instead of just trying to, I, I guess, look them in the eye knowing that they're dying and then you know, saying, saying the final rites or something. Um, because the soldier, she, she, in this sentence, sentence, Robert Hicks says, it's like creating another agony for them. They, they know they're dying, but then to see somebody else knowing they're dying too and, and, and to, to, to do that as opposed to trying to, to lighten the burden. I just thought it was a really interesting way of, of, of thinking about that. All right, the last one I wanna, want to highlight here is... Um, is I'll start reading it. A year or more had passed, and already the words Carnton, Franklin, Tennessee, had come to mean something to those who heard of it. It was not the address of the warmongers and their plotters and strategists. Canton was the address of the war itself. It was the place to send letters asking impossible questions. End quote. That's that's really amazing. Uh, I, from how this is described, it it, it kind of seems like um, people all over the United States would write 
letters and just address it to Carnton Franklin, Tennessee, because they had, they had heard of, of this hospital and they were wondering if their loved ones had been had been buried there, if that was their final resting spot. And and this the, this battle of Franklin is often called the death of the Confederacy uh, because after this there 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 was just no there was no way they they were going to come back from this this battle. Uh, so that that part's neat. It's it's not the address of warmongers and their plotters and strategists. Carnton, by becoming this hospital, and Carey by be, by taking care of these dying men, became the address of the war itself. The address where where you would direct letters. Again, just a just a neat neat thing to think about. The second thing I want to highlight from this book in the, in this segment is the the title, "The Widow of the South." And Carrie was referred to as as the widow of the South uh, even even before she she died. But she wasn't a widow. Uh, her husband had not died. He didn't die until 1893. But in 1882, author Oscar Wilde he he, he did a tour of America, and he told his hosts that he wanted to visit the, in quotes now, sunny Tennessee to see, to meet the widow McGavick, the high priestess of the Temple of the Dead Boys, uh, end quote. So, so Oscar Wilde knew her as the widow McGavick, and she was called the widow of the South. She also lost three children. She had five children in her life, and, and three of them died. And so that, that, I believe they all three died before the war. And so she, she had already experienced a lot of loss in her life. And Robert Hicks in this book kind of takes that to the next level of what, what would a person be like if they had lost three of their children? And it, and it wasn't like, I mean, it was different ages that she lost her children. So some, one was eight years old, uh, one was within one year, and then I don't recall the other, but um, she, she had these three different children that had died. And I don't know if you've ever known anyone who has lost their children, but that, that destroys a marriage. It, it, it makes it very difficult for marriage. Um, and so can you imagine losing three children? And so Robert Hicks picks up on this in, in, in that you see a fraught marriage in this book between Colonel John and Carrie McGavick. Uh, but she was the widow of, of all these soldiers who died and, and she was the widow of the South. And as I mentioned before, Fr- Franklin is considered the, the place where the Confederacy died. So she was the widow of the South. She was the widow of these, these soldiers. It's just a, another deep thing to, to consider with, with this woman and, and what she did. She was known uh, around the U S when she died, she was written about in, in a number of newspapers and for her role in, in being there for the dead and then looking after them for the rest of her life uh, in, in the cemetery. Third thing I want to highlight is uh, something I brought up in, in one of the earlier books from this year, and that is the book by Roy Peter Clark, and I will link to that in the show notes, but it's X-Ray Reading. And in that book, he, he encourages everyone to, to read the Bible because so much of literature 
refers to the Bible. And this book was no exception. Uh, this, this book had bi biblical references throughout. And one of the most interesting ones to me was in the main, one of the main characters of, of Zachariah Cashwell. And Zechariah talks about how he got the name, and it's from the book of Zechariah. And then he relates what happens in chapter 5 to his mother. And it's one of those things, like, I'm still thinking about it a lot after having read the book. But also one of those things where I, I, I read that, I, I didn't recall that story very much, but I, I went back and I read that story in the Bible. And I just, I, I love that. I, I love how you, you can, an author will reference something like that, and then you, you can kind of look back at the, the Bible story to see, I guess, gain more insight into what the author is trying to say. And so that was neat. There were, there were other characters who had biblical names, and you're kind of wondering, okay, why did they have that name? Uh, one thing in, in x-ray reading where he talks a lot about um, considering the names that the author gives each person and, and what that means. So that's my, my final thing from, uh, from this book that, that really stuck out to me and, and I thought was cool, um, and just all the different biblical references, but, but also the characters and uh, was part of what they were trying to say, what the, the character in the Bible was, was attempting to say as well. So just something fun to, to think about and, and something that came up a lot in this book. Now on to segment three and the one thing, my one key takeaway from the book, the one thing that I'm still thinking about after reading this book, and I apologize in advance, but this one is a morbid one thing. And I want to talk about sound. I, September 11th, one of the things that st stuck out to me from that day is the people talking about the sound that they heard. And these were people who were on the ground level before the towers fell, and they started hearing this sound. And they didn't know what it was, and it was such a, a horrible sound, but they couldn't place what it was because they'd never heard it before. And they finally saw what they were hearing, and it was the bodies hitting the ground of those who had, had to jump out of the building to escape the fire. And that's one of, one of the things that sticks out in my mind from that day. It's one of the, the, I guess, something that captures part of the tragedy of that day, of just this, this new sound. And there's something that was similar in this book. And, and again, I'm not sure if, if Robert Hicks kind of just thought through what a battle could have been like and, and came up with this, or if this was something that he had read about the battle. But... I, I'll read it here. This is page 86. It was unholy ground, but I wanted to thank God for showing it to me. I would never again look at a man without wondering what crimes he was capable of committing. That seemed important to know. It was in the midst of this reverie that I decided, or I realized that the cracking sound I'd been hearing was not the sound of balls hitting the gin house. I looked up once after being sprayed by splinters and realized the balls made a thump-thump sound against the wood slats. The cracking sound came from the opposite direction, out on the field. The dead and dying were packed so tightly that men were, were charging right over them, shattering legs, arms, and ribs. It was the sound of bones snapping. And man, when I read that, I just... 
that that really bought, brought the battle to life for me, I guess, the, the, the tragedy of this battle, that there were so many dead and wounded on the battlefield that the men had to walk on them to try to get to the next area of the battle. And in doing so, were breaking the bones of the men that they were walking on. And the, the, sol- the soldier whose voice this chapter is in is a, is a Union soldier, and he's, he's, in, he's in his trench, and he doesn't know what that cracking sound is. He perhaps hasn't heard it before, even though he's, he's a seasoned soldier, and yet he finally realizes what that sound is, and it just brings the horror of that battle into an audible format. And I guess it, it, it's, it's one thing that, that, that brings to life that, that war is hell. And, and just giving these sounds, you know, not just, not just visual imagery or this happened, then this happened, but sounds and smells of, of the battle. So that's my, uh, that's the one thing I've been thinking about again, a morbid, a morbid thing, but, um, but something, I guess that, that, that brought the horror of this battle together. The, the other thing that, uh, that, that this book has done for me is, is to just help me to appreciate the area in which I live and to dig deeper into that history. So to recap, uh, this was, this was a, a, a book I did not want to end. I learned a lot. It's, it's caused me to desire to read more about this history. Uh, in fact, I do have another book about Franklin coming up later on my list this year. And I, I hope to, uh, to con- continue to, to learn about the Battle of Franklin and, and the history of this area that I live. I also hope to, uh, to be able to speak to, to Robert Hicks at some point in the future. I'd love to ask him different questions about, about this book. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Before I sign off, just a reminder that you can now share your reading list on the Books of Titans website by going to booksoftitans.com forward slash my books. You can also follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter at Books of Titans. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast and find all of our past episodes through iTunes, the Android Marketplace, or your podcast manager of choice. If you're enjoying the podcast, please go into iTunes, go to podcasts, Search for our podcast, and then uh, there's a tab for reviews. Click that and, and, and give us a review. Give us a, a, some feedback. We, we, we'd love that. And we'll be back next week with another book. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out. I'm out.